Hi, you've called the Mojo Radio Show. We can't come to the phone right now because we're about to start the show. But please, wait for the tone and the boys will be with you shortly. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. If you are a first time listener, welcome. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for clicking the download button. If you're a regular Mojo-ite, Nice to have you back. We appreciate your company. And uh, this show is about finding interesting people, and we have got someone very interesting this week to talk to. Um, To give you tips and tools to help you get your mojo working in and out of work, whether it be around business, your personal life, your health, getting a good night's sleep, helping the community, just people that we think got something going on to share. Rob and I grab them, interview them, and try to get some good tips and tools, different opinions, a different view on stuff to help you get your world rocking. And talking of rocking, <laughs> the man behind the panel that holds the whole thing rocking together. And rolling. Uh, I've missed that little warm chuckle, <laughs> the little flower. How are you, going? buddy? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. How's good, the good, blisters good. on the bum? Um, I have to be honest and say my uh, my bottom was quite sore through the whole thing because um, the first part of the tour, as um, as hard as it was, we spent a lot of time with our bottoms on the saddle and uh, right. the chamois. Uh, although it was fantastic, we wore a champion system kit, which was brilliant. Uh, it did hurt after a while. I'm sure it did. He's <laughs> <laughs> over the chuckle. Uh, but uh, nice to get back in the nice to get back in the studio. To be honest, it was. Well, I cleaned uh, it, it was up. All, you didn't. You did, uh, and I appreciate it. I, I, I do appreciate it. Yeah, I but, took um, your little hint the other week when you were walking around with your plastic bag before you went on the tour. Yeah, to, so to pay it forward. Okay. Yeah, all right, bit of pay it forward. All right, well, I can do the rest. Well, and I have to say a quick update for uh, the people who are the regular Mojoites. Um, I've just gotten back from a nine-day uh, Tour de Cure signature tour. We rode bikes from Adelaide to Melbourne. Our international guest, that's about 1,400 kilometres uh, to raise money for research, support and prevention of men, women and children who are facing or about to face cancer. It wasn't a complete holiday for me from the studio, from the Mojo Radio Show. Right. Um, I did take the I did take the microphone with me, mm. and I did do some interviews, and I caught up with an amazing lady, Robbo, who uh, only days before we left for this year's tour, which is only two weeks ago, she just had her latest dose of chemo. She was a guest at one of our dinners, and I spoke to her after the dinner to catch up and hear her story. Truly inspiring young girl. Mm. Uh, has this amazing story in her. So, um, listen to this, mate. Mm, okay. The Mojo Radio Show. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Tell us a little bit about your relationship to cancer and how it's unfolded for you in recent times. Um, My first experience with cancer was actually my mum. My mum had breast cancer um, about 14 years ago and she had a grade 3 stage 3 tumours and went through the chemotherapy and radiation platform. Um, I don't think I really... 
don't know that at the start of it, I didn't really take it as seriously as I should have. Mm. Um, I've regretted those moments for the rest of my life because I don't didn't really realise how intense they are, and especially now. Mm. So that was my first journey. Now, the thing is, my mum's journey, she's all in room clear, 14 years later. Amazing. Wow. Um, never dropped, skipped a beat. You know, she's quite an incredible woman. So that was my first ever real face-to-face thing. And then, unfortunately, many, many, many years later, um, in May last year, um, I was in having an eye test and the ophthalmologist told me that I had cancer. But the sad thing about this situation is that I didn't have an early stage cancer. I had an advanced stage 4 cancer with bilateral tumours in my breasts, widespread metastases in my bone and tumours behind my eyes. Mm. And um, it's an aggressive, rare form of cancer. Robbo, we're on day six of the Tour de Cure this year. We've been into Warrnambool, as I said. We just had a dinner. But I heard a dinner just last night or the night before that you only had your a treatment a, a few days before the tour de cure started. Is that, that this week? Is that right? Yes, I had um, chemotherapy on the Tuesday and I re- I popped myself into bed on Wednesday and I was on a plane on Thursday. <laughs> and I didn't... It was about 3 o'clock on Wednesday that I was like, I don't know if I can do mm. this. And then I was like, what do you mean you can't do this? You can do anything. <laughs> so nothing was going to stop me from coming. Shelley, you... What's the what's cancer taught you? Like, what do you what do you take from this? There's a lot of downtime, and you seek to reflect on life and what you want. When you go through the process as well, you realise who's there, who's not there. I run a small to medium business. You realise some people stay with you, some people don't. Um, you know what you've been fighting for, what you've been working hard for. I used to work 15 hours a day. I wanted to take over the world. I was always busy. I was always busy. I'm really busy. You know, busy is boring. Busy, busy people are boring. And I'm sorry if anyone says they're too busy. I'm like, whatever. Like seriously. And I was really busy. And I think I wrapped not understanding and knowing who I was as a person in everything else, in everyone else, in being busy, in mm. in thinking I needed all these things. Um, I, a lot of long conversations that I had with friends um, about life during this period of time, one gave me some amazing advice, which is, Shelley, you need to know what enough is. Mm. What is enough? What is enough for you right now to live a great life, mm. to do what you want to do, to be happy with what you want to do? And, you know, figure out what that enough is and you don't need any more. And if you get more than that, it's awesome. But mm. if you don't... So what I did is I literally... I re you know, in three weeks of getting diagnosis, restructuring the business, working out how everything is going to work, I was just like, hang on, I can do this how I want to do it this time. Mm. So I just said to everyone, I will not be having any face-to-face meetings in the next six months. You can work with me, you can not work with me, I don't give a damn. Mm. Guess what? No one needed a face-to-face meeting in six months, ever. We we did not miss a deadline. We did not skip a beat. Ideally, we'd work on time all through chemotherapy because we changed the way we worked. Mm. Skype is an incredible tool. You do not need to be sitting in front of me having a coffee, telling me your life story for 45 minutes and then asking me for five minutes to do something. I, You know, my clients also that are amazing, we learnt to work more efficiently. 
it's 15 hours a day. I work two hours a day. I still work two hours a day. I'm earning more money. Mm. Um, I spend more time with my family. My entire life is now revolving around my three-year-old niece. And so I think that's the biggest thing that I've, I've learnt to prioritise and, and, and that that has taught me, you know. You had a nice quote you said during your presentation at dinner the other night. And it was about cancer and about life. Can you remember what you said? <laughs> well, it's really about the fact that cancer is not a death sentence. Mm. And um, one of the biggest parts of this journey is that cancer is about learning to live. Mm. And it's about not letting things come at you with this disease. For example, I will not be defined by a number. Mm. And that might be my age, a year that I will live, how long the drugs will work. I'm, I will not be defined by a number. And, you know, I will take get up every day and if it's a good day, try to do something good on that day, mm. hence why I am here, hoping to capture the good days. You know, um, spending the time and actually living each moment and not doing that thing where you wake up at X year or whatever and go, I wish I coulda, shoulda, woulda have done that. I have no time to coulda, shoulda, woulda anymore. So every single day is important. Before we go, um, tell me about the Tour de Cure experience for you. Oh being, being here in Monks, we've got 180-odd crew, Channel 7, we've got drivers, support crew, guys doing our washing, we've got 130-odd riders tomorrow. How have you found the whole experience? It is so huge. The actual machine of it, I am in awe of, and I just the cogs and the things that have to happen and all of that stuff. But um, I think a couple of things personally for me, and you're going to get probably a bit of exclusive Shelley that doesn't open up, is I am constantly now wanting to live so that I could do this again. Because mm. when there's so much good stuff like this, I don't want to die. And I thought when when um when the doctors told me I was like my Lila was the big thing. I just want to see her become ten. And now this has happened. So I cry most days here, and I try to stand at the back and. And I cried when the kid at the school visit said I closed my eyes. Oh. I lost, lost it. So it's funny, Robbo. It's um, talking to Shelley tonight um, and hearing Shelley's story at dinner. You get these stories every day on tour from special people, ordinary people doing special things. And Renee is a classic example of a girl from Mount Isa. She trains on the on the flat roads almost by herself at times in her spare time as a policewoman. She comes here and tomorrow she'll ride another 160-odd Ks. She's got the longest legs on tour, for sure. (laughs) I haven't checked her out. She's really tall. (laughs) Um, What would you... If there was someone listening to this show and they heard your story, Shelley, and they wanted to get something out of the Tour de Cure that you've gotten out of it, if they're thinking about volunteering for something, what would you say? Just get on board. Mm. Um, I don't know. I kind of don't know life before it now. Like, I don't ever want to have a life without it. Mm. It's as someone who is, you know, really did not know if we, I could do this. Mm. And, like, I had doctors. We ever I had to get clearance and all mm. stuff. 
there's sometimes things that you need to do, whether it's good or bad, and you just got to do it. And now I'm, like, trying to work out how I could do next year and what I'm going to do. And Woody and I are talking that we need to be on the same team because we're really good at fundraising. So, um, you know, and it's just it gives you something and hope to look forward to for me. But for anyone, it's like it's an experience that I cannot describe. And... I'm really glad that I'm never not going to know life without it. Yep. Life is different yep. today. Like, life has been different in May. Life was different when, um, by the way, which I'd love everyone to know that I'm stable. So my restaging came in as stable three weeks before the tour started and I wasn't allowed to go unless we were. So that was a good thing. So it's important. It's not a good thing. It's a great thing. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. It's, it's actually amazing. amazing. It's actually phenomenal. Like, where well, are we? Well, um, we're blessed to have you here. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. I feel show. very special. And um, I'd like Robbo to meet you one day and you should sure. give good couples. I, I try. It's not a normal thing for me. It's a new thing. <laughs> So, Robbo, uh, I'm out, mate. I'm going uh, to go and clean some bikes with the mechanics and uh, finish my dessert. So, um, Shelley, thank you so much for joining Thanks us for on the Mojo Radio Show. You're a champion. You're a star. You're a legend. So are you guys. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. Wow, what a story. Um, I interviewed uh, Shelley in front of a, uh, a school in Geelong, mm. um, a fantastic school. It was a year seven to year 12. So, I interviewed Shelley to talk about, you know, being fit, being healthy, be happy, which is the message we take to junior schools. Mm. And through Shelley's message, it was no real, it's really no different. I mean, she, when she was diagnosed, she wasn't eating well, she wasn't exercising, and she was stressed to the max. And they're mm. the biggest contributors um, that science has shown us to being diagnosed with cancer from whatever body part we unfortunately get it. But anyway, that, that's can my I, can story I just from the say, road. though, just quickly... You tell me that you were busy and you didn't. There wasn't much downtime. But I got to be honest, mate. That interview sounds like you're standing smack bang in the middle of the pub. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Yeah. Right. Busy. <laughs> no. Well, every every night on dinner we have professors, doctors, cancer survivors, people who are related to people who've lost their lives to cancer, mm. who are guest speakers, mm. and so the whole team we have these big dinners. I mean, there were. Close on 400 people at some of our dinners, you know, raising mm. money and stuff. Mm. And uh, they're always in a pub or, you know, it's important. To, we support the pub. <laughs> we support the pubs and the RSLs and the clubs <laughs> and the bowling clubs. And yeah. that's all part of the community thing. But that particular interview Do was nice done guys. in a pub. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you, yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, dear. It's all, anyway, it's all so for a good cause. Doing, That's the most important thing. Yeah, what have yeah, I been yeah, doing? Yeah. What have you uh, been doing? Look, I'm doing a big juggling act at the moment. I'm, I'm juggling the show. I'm juggling the um, my own work, and I'm juggling the Beecroft under-12s, and now I'm juggling two under-10 teams. Uh, wow. I've just been appointed um, coach of the Eastwood under-10 development squad, so that's two teams of 16 kids who will be playing in the New South Wales. How many Wales. kids you got now? State champ. How many kids? What all up? Yeah. Uh, well, there's 23 at Beecroft and there's 36 at wow. Eastwood. So that's what f- nearly 60 kids, I suppose. Six, yeah. 60 kids. Man, that's good. So I'm trying remembering all their names. That's hard. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting, though, Robert. It, it is. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But um, 
it's interesting with the position you're in and some of the mums and dads listening, it's a great opportunity to go back and listen to Carolyn Adams-Miller mm. about grit. Absolutely. And people like Dr. Adam Fraser, the episode that talked about, you know, the kids and developing kids with resilience and grit and and Andrew May and all these sorts of guys. We've got some great back episodes that would certainly help with, um, you know, getting your day into for better productivity and understanding how to develop these kids into better better, better people and stuff, isn't it? I, I won't mention any names, but it is interesting just talking about Caroline Adams Miller and grit. There are, to put, it in, to put it into perspective, there were 36 kids chosen for the Eastwood Reps team. There was 58 kids that trialed. So in other words, they had to turn up and they had to play a few games in front of us and they were scored, not by, well, by me, but the main scoring was done by some independent selectors who the Eastwood Club um, appoints. Mm. Um, and they're selected on the strength of their game. We had our first training session on Monday night and some of the kids who had trialed at halfback or inside centre or number 10 or whatever obviously couldn't play that position because there were kids who were stronger, but we liked their game. So we've moved them to another position in the team. And some of the kids have taken to it straight away. They're putting their hands up, asking questions. Should I be here? Should I do this? There was two or three that just fell into tears. I don't play this and I play that. And and it was just interesting. And and it's interesting hearing you say about Caroline because that was the first thing that came to my mind was – I remember one of the questions we talked about with Caroline is, is grit an inbuilt thing or is it a learnt thing? And for me, that sort of showed me that, well, I think it may be genetic, but as Caroline said, we can also learn it as well. Yeah, I had a long chat to some mums at school yesterday and uh, there was a little girl and two little girls that were playing on a log and they were crawling along this log, you know, like you would in a commando situation. Mm. And uh, one of the mums said, oh, these kids are going to end up with splinters. And I told the story about Dr. Adam Fraser from the episode we did with him where yep. his kid said to him, what's a splinter? They went to the parade ground and it was so protected mm. um, and it was all plastic and steel and a rubber matting that he couldn't find or get a splinter. Yeah. And uh, I think all these things fold up into it. And it's interesting, mm. the conversation with the mum rolled into mm. um How's this thing where everybody gets a ribbon, everybody is rewarded for, you know, there's no first, second and third and we mm-hmm. are breeding this resilience out of kids. So um, mm-hmm. it's Agreed. a big topic, you know, and Glenn Capelli talked about it in his episode of the Mojo Radio Show, Dr. Yep. Adam Fraser. All these people around positive psychology are all going back to the stuff you're raising. But mm. um, I think it's a big issue for Absolutely. Call it grit, resilience, determination. Yeah. Anyway. So, um. So we've got a great guest this week. We have got, I tell you, this guy is big time. Mm-hmm. And Indeed. Sean Stevenson was number one in iTunes across the world in health and wellness. I mean, mm. that's talking big, 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 big time. Mm. He, um, and the thing I like about Sean, there's a bit of a backstory. I love his show and he has his own podcast, which is terribly successful given the fact he's number one. But mm. I just like the fact he's so passionate about helping people understand wellness and health and vitality. Mm. Um, and where I give full props to this guy is I heard him being interviewed on a show called Entrepreneur on Fire, mm. uh, another very successful podcast series mm. um, on iTunes. Not quite as good as this one, though. No, it doesn't have, doesn't have, the, <laughs> doesn't have the attitude we have but, um, or the rock element. That's right. He said to this guy, if there's someone listening to the show 
Mm. If you get your own podcast up and you do six episodes, contact me and I will be on your show. And we have, mm. and he did, and he is on our show. And I think that is extraordinary for someone to put it out there in the World Wide Web to say, you know what, you do this and yeah. I'll be a guest, as big as he is in the podcast world. And he's our guest. So, um, Sean Stevenson, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. And I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, um, mate, hearing, hearing your super successful podcast series, um, can you just talk us through your debilitating back injury and how you took your back into your own hands and the journey you've been on to where you are now? Absolutely. So I'll give you the short version. And when I was 20 years old, I was diagnosed with something called degenerative spinal disease. And basically my, my bones in my, in my spine and also my hip were deteriorating rapidly. And in particular, my disc and my back. And so your discs are kind of like shock absorbers in one, in one instance, in one capacity. And so I started to experience a lot of physical pain because a lot of nerves run through your spine as well. And this radiating pain was like kind of going down my leg. And for me, there's different levels of that. A lot of people experience sciatic pain, but for me, this was um, so kind of excruciating that the pain would wake me up if I moved during the night, if I even rolled over, you know? So I constantly was on medications and like sleeping pills and this wasn't a good time, you know? And, And my first physician, you know, I asked him, what can we do to fix this? And he told me that I have the spine of an 80 year old and there's nothing I could do about it. And to hear that as a 20 year old, like aspiring athlete, life was going good. Then like overnight, seemingly I'm having difficulty walking and getting around and I'm in pain all the time that it can't get better. That really shattered my world, you know? And so fast forward my story, two and a half years go by. I see four other physicians. They all say the same thing. And I have this moment of decision really that kind of changes my life. And as I'm sitting on my bed, I've got this bottle of pills in my hand. I'm about to take to knock me out. And I'm just like, it just all kinds of comes just rushing in that my life, my blueprint for my reality, all the amazing things that I was supposed to do with my life. And here I am depressed, 50 pounds, heavier than I was. Also just my mission here, you know, like I, my grandmother used to tell me so many times how special I was and how I was going to do great things with my life. And look at me, Mm. you know? And what I did was I had been passing off my health onto people outside of myself. Mm. And this, in this moment, I decided, I decided that I was going to get well. Yeah. And most people never do that, whether it's in regards to business or their health or their relationships, it's more wishful thinking, you know, Mm. like, Mm. I hope this gets better. I'll give this a try. Yeah. Right. We know what the outcome is if you don't try, you know, you already fail. But if you're just trying or, you know, you you hope it'll be okay. hope floats, hope floats. You know, it's not tangible. A decision is something that's very real and tangible as a substance. When you make a real decision about something, you cut away the possibility of anything else except that thing, except that outcome. I've decided to do this. Nothing is going to stop. And so and that's actually from the Latin day, meaning from and kaitir, which means to cut. So you cut away, the, cut away the possibility of failure. So when I decided to get well, this brought on a whole list of, uh, of different mental programs, really, you know, and just number one, I started to ask more empowering questions instead of like, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why won't somebody help me? Which our brain is actually hardwired to answer questions. What is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to do 
to have the health and vitality that I really want. Mm. If there was a, a corporate warrior listening to us right now who is sitting on the side of their bed or sitting on the train, sitting at their desk at the office, about to do, get out of their car, they feel sluggish, they haven't got their mojo working, they're inspired by the words you just said because there was so much gold in what you just talked about. Taking into consideration the psychology of what you talked about, what would you say be the very first thing somebody could do if they're at that point of wanting to make that decision you made? Mm. What do they do? It's, um, it, it, it's actually really simple, you know, but you have to practice making decisions, okay? This is the secret. Uh, it wasn't that this kind of just, this moment of revelation happened. It doesn't usually happen, happen like that. There was actually moments of like really intense frustration leading up to that. And oftentimes we don't understand that a lot of the challenges and frustration and obstacles in our life are a result of things we've asked for. You know, they're, they're there to help us to develop certain capa- capacities and qualities and character traits that we might need to be able to have that thing that we want. So in that, in those weeks and months leading up to this moment of revelation, seemingly, I was practicing using my decision-making muscles. Like most people's decision-making muscles are very, very flimsy, right? And so they, ha- you know, it's like airy-fairy decisions. They're not really making a decision. It's more like, I'll try again. So I would say to practice making decisions. And that can be as something as simple as, I'm going to try and have this brand new workout regimen that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Just decide that you're going to stand up for 10 minutes more a day. You know, you make that decision. You start one little small thing, make it one victory under your belt, you know, or I'm going to, I'm going to decide if it's, if it's in a job context or, or starting your own business, you decide to actually pick uh, um, a, a graphic designer. You know, you've like been tinkering around, like, you know, there's these like six guys. I think they're okay. Just decide, you know, build up the decision-making muscle so that when it comes to like changing your life, you've got stronger decision-making muscles, stronger will to actually make that happen. So I hope that makes sense. It's just, yeah. you got to strengthen your decision-making muscles. It, it, Sean, that does make sense. Does, does that sort of decision-making include, shall I have a hamburger or a hot dog for dinner? Is that decision-making as well? Exactly. It is. <laughs> it is. It surely is. Shall I have nuts with my beer or some pork rind? <laughs> <laughs> I like tangible things. And so let mm. me give something more tangible. So for me, what it really helped to strengthen the decision-making muscles was strengthening my physical muscles. Yeah. Right? So yeah. part of my problem was all of the physicians I saw were telling me, don't do anything. Be careful. Mm. Be on bed rest, not understanding that you will atrophy, you know, or maybe understanding that, but they're setting me up for a very, very um, disempowering position where everything in my body is going to atrophy. Mm. Here's a big secret, guys, that your body requires you to move in order to heal itself. Mm. Okay. There's fascinating studies that show this, you know, there's one with horses and they had horses and there's two different groups in this study. And what they wanted to do was to increase the bone density of the horses because if a horse breaks his bone, a racehorse, then it's grounds for the horse to be put to sleep, you know? And so they wanted to increase the bone density of the horses, so they started giving them supplements. So group one of the horses were given supplements, and they found at the end of the study that their bone density didn't improve that much. It was like negligible is almost nothing. The second group of horses, they gave them the supplements, but they also walked the horses. 
And they found at the end of the study that their bone density had, in fact, improved significantly. Okay, so it's the movement plus the right nutrition is the mm. key. Mm-hmm. You know? So get, start to employ some of those things in your life because when you feel better, you'll be able to make stronger decisions. When you feel better, you'll have more clarity, more focus, and just a stronger capacity to, to actually make a real decision like we've been talking about and not just like an airy-fairy kind of, I'll give it a try. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, what, what part is stress playing in our lives at the moment? I mean, what, what part is stress playing? What's it doing to us? And do we actually really know if we are stressed? That's a very interesting question. And this is something I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this subject because when people hear the word stress, they often think in relationships to work, you know, work-related stress. And that's not, the, that's not even close to all of the story. You know, some people might be struggling. I, I often say this, that you can either eat your way, you can eat, overeat your way fat, you can under-exercise your way fat, or you can overstress your way fat, okay? And so people might think, well, I'm not that stressed at work. You know, like I eat a good diet, I've been exercising like crazy, but my body's not changing. And you think stress is an issue. Well, I'm not that stressed at work. That's just one component of something called your overall stress load. Okay, so if you picture like you're a cartoon picture of a human head and there's, you could take the lid off, all right? You'll take the lid off. We're not like looking at like a gross looking brain. It's just a cartoon picture and there's an there's a, there's a opening in the brain for stuff to get poured in. So picture that and think about in this kind of cookie jar uh, image that you see, picture work stress going into that person's brain and picture... Uh, relationship stress going in there and picture spiritual stress going in there. And this is like feeling like you're disconnected, feeling like you're not on your purpose, feeling like, you know, you're not significant. These are all spiritual stressors. Put that in on top of it. Exercise stress. Exercise is, it can be a good stress, but if you put that on top of an already huge stress load, this can tip you over into disease and into obesity. So exercise is known as a hormetic stressor. This is something that's good for you in a specific dose if you recover from it. So then you also put in nutrition stress or lack of nutrition. So diet stress. So uh, the impact of the food that you're eating or lack thereof nutrition. You know, you put all that together and there's a few more things, but this becomes your overall stress load. And this can wreak havoc on your endocrine system, which is your hormone secretion system. So if your overall stress load is too high, this is going to damage your adrenal glands and namely, this is the organ that's secreting cortisol. And people hear cortisol all the time now. It's like, it's just stress hormone. And it's bad. Cortisol is awesome. You need cortisol to be able to get up and do anything. It's just when it gets out of balance. You know, you can damage your entire endocrine system, which your hormones determine how you feel and how you look. And you could damage all that by having too much stress and not being able to, to basically to, to modulate it. You know, it's not about not having stress. We're in the most stressful time in human history. And there are some people that are thriving. You know, it's about being able to roll with it, be able to, to do something with the stress, to be able to modulate it. Not necessarily balance it per se, but something similar to that. You gotta have strategies for that for sure. Here, I'll just share something with you. We actually, it's been it's been shown that we actually get a little bit of a dopamine hit when we get like somebody like our post or we get a new Twitter follower, yeah. right? We're yeah. getting yeah. a little dopamine hit for our brain so it becomes addicted, okay? It becomes an addiction. This is why it's so difficult for people to shut their stuff down and just connect with another person. You know, if you're going out to eat or if you're with your family or just to go to bed at night, 
right? Because we're addicted to it. And guess what happens when you're addicted to something? You're going to sacrifice things. You're going to sacrifice your relationships. You're going to sacrifice your sleep and thus your health. You're going to sacrifice eating the things you really want to eat because you're taking up too much time on social media. You're going to sacrifice business opportunities. You're going to sacrifice noticing that that um, great thing that you've been looking for that can help take your business to the next level. You weren't paying attention because you were distracted. You know, we're living at a time of great distraction. And this is what's kind of going on underneath the surface for, with the social media. And that's just one aspect, man. I mean, I can, we can do a whole show just talking about that one thing. Totally. Sean, I read a book last week by Susan Greenfield called Mind Change. And she talked about the impact that social media is having on us just based on what you just said. And she said that empathy and compassion is dropping as a value that we have and as a skill we have. Mm. Envy is growing. Mm. And a lot of these things are coming from social media where we are always seeing other people at their best and we're seeing cut physiques and we are seeing people whose life we want to emulate and then it makes us feel envious because we're not at that place. And then... yeah. To your point, because we're not having real conversations, our empathy and our understanding and compassion is dropping as far as our skill set goes. Would you would you concur with that? Wow, this is such a powerful topic. And I'm so glad that you brought this up, you know, and uh, I definitely concur with that. You know, you can see it. This is not like this is not our our childhood, you know, or you had these close friends and this kind of adventure that life was on, you know, we're very, very distracted and we're isolated. You know, we've got a thousand friends on Facebook, but we've got maybe one friend in real life, you know, and even them, it's like, why are you calling me? You should have texted me that. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) We're becoming very secluded and we don't really realize that, but I feel that we will eventually come to an understanding and a balance with these things where we're going to be able to, because I I love my, my iPhone. I love my Mac. It's been able, it's enabled me to connect with like hundreds of thousands of people have been impacted by my work. Like, it's mm. mind-blowing. Yep. This mm. would not be possible mm. without these mediums. However, mm. we have a certain relationship structure, you know, where we have an understanding. There's certain places that my technology does not intrude on, mm. you know? So I think that we're all going to come to a balance with these things. And here's the big issue is that envy, for example, it can be a somewhat positive. It just, again, it depends on how your, your paradigm, your perspective it can be a positive uh, energy temporarily to get you motivated to do something, you know. However, a lot of people, when they let that envy kind of um, fester in them and then they become spiteful and they become resentful and they become um, demeaning or even uh, wishing bad on the person who has it, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a sticky slope when you get into more, quote, negative emotions. They can be valuable for an evolved human being or somebody who sees the lesson in it, you know, like, oh, wow, I feel some envy and jealousy there. You know, I must really want that. Mm-hmm. Let me, you know, let me give thanks for them. Let me give them huge respect and props and hope, wish them the best because they achieved this thing. Now let yeah. me go and do that too. You mm-hmm. know, you can have that perspective, but for most of us, we're just, because we're so distracted, because we've lost touch in a way with our, 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 our most powerful, important essence about us, which mm-hmm. was, which I'll talk about in a minute then we're going to tend to just fall into those negative emotions consistently. And like she said, it's going to be a lot more envy and, and energies of that nature when we're, when we're going through social media. The compassion, 
I think that that's one of the highest forms of energy and a really big part of who we are at our core as human beings. Because we couldn't have evolved if we didn't care for other people. You know, we couldn't mm. have made it without other people. Mm. And also, we couldn't have made it if other people didn't care about us. Yeah. Okay, so that compassion, you know, a lot of people still have sympathy. We see sympathy all the time in social mm. media. Like, oh, I feel bad for them. Mm. You know, oh, I, I, you know, it's so, that's so sad. Compa- I mean, sympathy is a very uh, kind of kindergarten version of, of caring. You know, it's mm. like, not even kindergarten. It's like preschool. Yeah. You know, it's more like, uh, I, I feel bad for you. Empathy is like, I feel for you. I feel for you. You know, I, I understand. I know I feel the way that you feel. So empathy is a greater level of, of human, of humanness, but it's still limited because when you feel for the person, you feel you're in it with them. You feel as bad as they are, as they do, you can be debilitated, you know? You you could be in a place where you're bo- you're bound and you're binded emotionally because you're you don't have more empowered emotions to go and make a change. Compassion, that's where the real power lies because compassion says, "I understand how you feel, but I don't necessarily feel that way. Hmm. How can I serve? How can I help you?" That's what compassion is, and so for us to even just have that conscientious understanding that we can have more compassion when we're in our endeavors, be it on on social media or just in our day-to-day lives. I understand how you feel. How can I serve? That's where we start to see real relationships, real opportunities, real change happen. You know, so I definitely concur with what she said, but I also see it as a great opportunity for those who are awake and they can see this and they can start to employ some of this stuff in their lives. Hey, Sean, do you reckon the opposite to that is, um, that we also don't give ourselves a pat on the back when we've done a good job. Yeah. We're almost afraid to. We almost sort of look at anything, oh, that would be a bit self-serving if I sort of went, wow, good job, when maybe we should be sort of telling ourselves that I did that well and, you know, I should yeah. do that again. This, is, this gets into the conversation about something that, you know, this isn't to get into religiosity, mm. you know, but it's one of those things that's kind of ingrained in us in the Western culture about uh, a sin, a sin called vanity, mm. right? Yeah. And there's a big difference between like a healthy self-confidence and self-love and being like Kanye West, you know? <laughs> Not there's to drop any names. <laughs> you know, and even Kanye, even Kanye, he probably still has his story that, you know, he's not um, arrogant or whatever the case may be. Mm. Well, may, I think he would probably concur that he is, but you know what I'm saying? It's, you having that healthy self-love is mm. one of the most important instructions that you should be getting from your birth, mm. you know, mm. because you are endowed with certain gifts and capacities, yeah. talents yeah. that have never existed before in the history of the world because you never existed before. Mm. And if you don't acknowledge that and you don't care for yourself so that you can give those gifts, mm. that is a sin. Yeah. Yeah, that's the real sin, you know, having that healthy self-confidence and, and self-awareness and self-assuredness. We should be programming that in and, and, and cultivating that and supporting that in our children from a very young age so that they can be aware that they matter because this is, a, this is actually a human need. It's a human need to feel significant. We all want to feel like we matter. And so if you're not even acknowledging to yourself that you matter, I mean, you can forget about it. I mean, 
no matter what anybody else tells you, it's still you're going to brush it off. No, not me. And also, you're not going to be able to truly give that to someone else from a truly core place because you don't have it for yourself. How can you give what you don't have? John, just before we let you go, um, just a, a, one comment that you made on one of your shows, which I loved. You said that you are what you ate ate. <laughs> I'm a great believer in that. Can you just give us a snapshot as to what that means and why we should care? Absolutely. So, you know, we've all heard this moniker, you know, you are what you eat. And that really hasn't taken us very far. You know, some people kind of get that, that, you know, that Twinkie is actually going to become a part of me, you know? And some people have kind of got that paradigm shift of like, when I put in my mouth actually becomes a part of who I am. But to take that a step further, it's not really you are what you eat, you know? And I'm really about integrity and being as open and direct as I possibly can with my knowledge base where I am right now in my life, which is, it's not you are what you eat, it's you are what you assimilate, you know? So eating that salad, there's only so much of that that you're actually going to assimilate. And so this really boils down to understanding the, empower, the importance of your digestion, you know, actually having a, a, a healthy, uh, powerful digestive tract, you know, and there's so many people suffering today with digestive issues ranging from the hole at one end at one end of your body, which is your mouth, to the other hole at the other end of your body, which is your anus, right? <laughs> well, I'm one of them. I have Crohn's disease, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So Crohn's, we've had a tremendous success, tremendous success with Crohn's as well in colitis mm. because it's really boiling down again to looking at what is the underlying cause mm. instead of treating symptoms. Yeah. And there's a lot that you can do to actually put the condition into remission. And But for, for the general public, it's like a lot of us you know, more than half of us have some type of issue in between that pathway from your mouth to your anus. You know, it might be an upper GI issue. Uh, it might be uh, an issue with hydrochloric acid production. It might be an issue with gut, with gut dysbiosis, with the microbiome, with the bacteria in your gut. There's so many different things that can come up, but it really boils down to nine times out of 10, it was a result of putting things in your gastrointestinal tract that your body was not designed to have in there, you know? And so that's just going to set off all of these alarms or basically what they're called is autoimmune conditions, you know, to where your body is attacking these co compounds, in particular protein compounds, but then it starts to see these protein structures similar in tissues that you have, you know, so maybe it attacked a protein structure that snuck in through, you know, your gut lining uh, via like something like a leaky gut that uh, it attacked this protein structure. And like your immune system took care of it all as well. But then it notices, hey, wait a minute, that protein structure that was a foreign invader, I see one and it's, it's on your thyroid. So then it'll go and attack your thyroid. Not mm. understanding that that is you. That's mm. you. It's mm. not foreign. And that's, a, that's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So your body's attacking the thyroid because it looks like a, an invader. All right. So now on that note, um, it's you are what you assimilate. It's you are what you assimilate. So you can be investing in the best food in the world, but if you're not actually assimilating that food, you're, you're basically, you know, putting it in the toilet. Literally, you're putting your money in the toilet. And so what we want to do is focusing on improving our gastrointestinal tract, our digestive fire, our, our internal health so that we can get the most out of the are what you eat paradigm. And to take it a step further, it's you are what you eat, breathe, drink, and think. All right. Now, to hop over to the other thing, the original question is, if you're, eating a, if you're eating a steak, for example, 
now it's not just I, I am what I eat. I'm eating this steak. I'm also what that cow ate. Okay, so this gets into the paradigm of what did my what did this animal actually eat itself? Was it eating cow food? Cows cows are designed to eat grass, or was this cow fed grains, bovine growth hormone, antibiotics its entire life? And now what what's shown is that in conventional factory farms here in the United States, about eighty percent of the cows that people are eating meat from have the human equivalent of or the cow equivalent of leukemia. Okay. Really? So this is like a blood wow. cancer. Yeah. Well, people don't know that. No. The job of the, of the producer is to get the cow as big and get as much meat from the cow as they can mm. and then sell it to you. And mm. it's deemed legal and lawful by you know, the FDA or whoever, which they're not looking and testing the meat for cancer, mm. you know, cancer cells. Mm. That, that's, that practice doesn't exist. Yeah. They're not testing for, um, well, well, now it's changing a little bit, like you know, the growth hormone and also the um, omega-6 fatty acid ratio because the cow's been eating an abnormal diet. Its tissues no longer contain the things that are giving you health. It's more so taking it away. Yeah. You know, so this is where the paradigm of, again, it's, it's not you are what you eat, it's you are what you eat ate. Mm. So you have to be mindful of that as well. You mm. know, and, and, and put the highest quality stuff that you can into your body by being more knowledgeable about where your food comes from. That's really powerful stuff, mate. Absolutely. Hey, um, Sean, we are going to let you go. Just two very quick, quick fire questions. Um, I know you are a fan of Bruce Lee. You speak of Bruce Lee on your program, which I love. And uh, Bruce Lee said, it's not the daily increase, but the daily decrease. Hack away at the unessentials. With that in mind, in the last 12 months, what have you hacked away at or what have you decreased that's had a significant impact on your own personal life? Oh, man, this is such a great question. He has them occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, one of the things that I've done, I've really gotten a hold of chunking. Chunking? So what does that mean? This is basically... Um, I've got a lot of stuff going on, you know, with speaking, mm. with writing, with, uh, with clients. And I, I literally dedicate specific days to specific things. I don't do mm. the other things. Like today, today we're recording this. This is the day that I do interviews, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a TV thing or a magazine or podcasts, awesome podcasts like this. This is the day <laughs> that I do that. Right. Yeah. So uh, for what I used to do was. You know, I might have this thing in the morning where I go and do a workshop and I'm going and teaching at a corporate event in the morning. Then I've got a client at noon. Then, I, then I've got a writing thing that I've got to do after I get done with my client. You know, it's like I'm bouncing around all over the place and it was very inefficient. And it led to a lot of long days and sub, substandard for myself results. You know, so I'm actually doing so much less now, but it looks like, it looks like when you see the results, I'm doing a lot more. You know, so people might hear it as like, so you're only working that amount of hours? Well, the reality is in that amount of hours, I'm only writing. I'm writing for these seven hours, you know, and of course there might have a break in there, you know, of course. But do you, can you imagine if you shut everything out and your brain is focused only on this one task, what you can accomplish, you know? So that's, that's really kind of been my, my big shift. And it's led to me having a lot more um, free, freedom in my thinking and free time. And just less stress for sure. Yeah. So chunking's nothing to do with marshmallows then. A <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, final question, Sean. I on this program right now in this interview, and also through your show, 
Um, I've heard you mention your grandmother a number of times. When you when you sit and reflect, if you see your grandmother in your mind, what comes to mind is the the most important lesson that your grandmother gave to you that has made an impact on your world. Care for sure. It's it's easy. Care, you know, my grandmother cared, you know, and this is definitely what people. Uh, man, this is hard to talk about. Ah. Uh, uh, this is definitely what people, the feedback has been that people sense for me, you know, like they can sense that I care. And it's the greatest gift that she gave me for sure, because my life would have turned out radically different if I didn't have her. You know, I only lived, I lived with her the first five, six years of my life. And then I was in some pretty bad situations after that. Um, not all bad, but just a lot, a lot of stuff. And I, ne- but I never seen that amount of caring that she instilled within me. And she also continued to be there you know, later on in my life as well. And that's the thing that I see. And it's just having, knowing that somebody kind of has that unconditional care for you and, and they love you, that means the world. And people just want to know that you care. You know, people people don't want to know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, you know? And I, I really love that that sentiment, that statement. And I, I think that it's definitely true. And that's, that's what comes up for me, so. That's nice, man. Thank you. Sean, isn't it funny that... Um, it seems sometimes that our grandparents have more of an influence over us than our actual parents. Yes. I know for me, for, you know, if you're hearing you talk about your grandmother, there's, there's so many things in my life that sort of stem from my grandmother even more than my parents. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's interesting how that happens, huh? Mm, absolutely. Well, I've got to say um, I've listened to a lot, if not all, of Sean's podcast shows. And uh, I, I, as, as an outsider, Sean, I think that um, – what you just said is absolutely true. That's the feeling I get coming through the speakers, that you you care about your own spirit, you care about helping other people. So, mate, if that's um, if that's the lesson you've taken, you've taken it on board well and you're living it, mate. So um, congrats on that. And on behalf of Rob and I, this has been really special talking to you, buddy, that um, you would take the time out of your busy day, put us into one of your, ch- put us into one of your chunks. Yes. But... Um, <laughs> The gold you have shared is uh, is absolutely invaluable. Just people are going to want to follow you up um, and see more of your work and hear more of your work. Where would you send people, mate? Where's, where's the best address for us to put into the show notes for people to find out more about you? Okay, sure. The main ways to connect with me, um, number one, the most valuable resource, and this is outside of just connecting with me. That's only a part of a small percentage. It's more connecting with yourself is getting um, access to the Model Health Show. So my show is, you can check it out on iTunes or Stitcher or any place you listen to your podcast. And I'm honored to say that we've been featured as number one in uh, in iTunes several times on in health, which is just kind of mind-blowing. That's awesome, but, man. Um, people can also check me out at my home online, which is theshawnstevensonmodel.com. And, or you can just Google me. It's S-H-A-W-N, right? That's Sean? correct. S H A W N. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I say it's the right way, but no disrespect to other. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Connery might take offense at that, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> it's all love. Sean's a good name. How do you spell it? And so um, it's the SeanStevensonModel.com. We've got a bunch of great interviews there. Uh, we've also got my show. We've got some great videos now that we're doing. Uh, I do epic articles over there. So people can connect with me there as well. And it was an honor for you guys to have me on. Thank you so much. Mate, we loved it. To someone who has a real podcast, Gary. 
<laughs> Something we can only aspire to. That's right, absolutely. Hey, um, Sean, having been to your website, you've got the shot there of yourself on the front of the website and you look cut to shreds and healthy, which means you're walking the talk, which is just so cool. The ink you have on your left um, peck is of yeah. a lion. What what does that represent for you? Just very quickly, what what does that mean? Why why the lion? <laughs> this is awesome, man. You're the first person to ask me this. I've done like, I don't know, 500 interviews, you know, but nobody asked me about this. And, and I, I do get emails, you know, just people just saying it's cool or, you know, they've got a similar tattoo or whatever. Here's, the, here's, here's what it is. This is going to trip you out. <laughs> it's called, it's called, um, Childhood stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we're getting down to it. Love it. Right. So now look, <laughs> I was I was like 17 years old, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And this was before I think this was right on the cusp of the movement where everybody in there, and literally their mom is tattooed. And so I, I got the tattoo done. And I'm a Leo, you know, the whole um what's your sign thing. Don't know too much about it. Of course, I do know that, that I do tend to carry some of those traits, some very strong traits from Leo's. Um, and, and I remember when I was a kid and, and, and like my mom or uh, like a friend of hers would tell me that I was born on this particular day. It's called a cusp day. And so like I had these unique traits of having um, uh, a Leo and Virgo traits. And what they were saying was that by them watching me, I, I tend to have the best of both of them. And not many of the negative qualities, which I was like, so that means what? Like I'm special? And they're like, yes, you're special. So, you know, I just I bought into that. I bought into that, you know, and I've de- but I've definitely seen the quote negative things like being very stubborn, you know, being very aggressive. I've learned to yield those things, to use them as gifts instead of things that debilitate me. You know, I'm very, very much more open minded. I'm very stubborn in my devotion to being open minded. You know what I'm saying? So I've shifted that. So that's what the, the tattoo really represents is um, just a, a decision that I made when I was young. And now it's, it's kind of a cool thing, you know, and I am I, I, I do feel that I do have that kind of storied heart of a lion, you know, uh, of having courage and, and, and being aggressive and and, you know, really just taking care of the pride. Yeah. You know? So there you go. That's so cool, man. That's a great story, man. What a great way to finish. All right. I know you got to go, Sean. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. Awesome, guys. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. Talk soon. Cheers, buddy. You too. Bye-bye. Bye, Sean. Bye-bye. Mojo Radio Show. So, unfortunately for Sean, he won't be number one for long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's sitting there in his little office looking over his shoulder going, oh, I've given, I've given this, I've opened the door for these guys. He sounded gone, scared. Gone, he gone. sounded scared. I could hear it in his voice. He was packing it. Uh, but damn, these guys are good. <laughs> no, man, he is, uh, he's super cool. And for our listeners to talk about that, um, the question we asked him about the lion tattoo in his chest, just go to his website yeah. and have a check it out because this guy is ripped, he's fit, he's healthy. And I've heard him on a number of shows with other mm. podcast mm. Um, interviewers and he um, he's the real deal. He's, yeah, uh, absolutely. He's, he's good value. So, Indeed. Um, look, that was a big, big show. Talk it was a big a show. Uh, mm. Anything else before we go? Just a quick one. Another one, unfortunately, another, another sort of person that I've worked with and had a lot to do with has, has passed on from this world, a guy called David Day. In fact, you know Daisy? Yeah, yeah, I remember Daisy. Yeah, he, yeah. Um, he's well known in Adelaide as a rock jock, um, 
but he's also made a name for himself within the Adelaide music industry because he's done a lot for young bands. In fact, if you talk to the Brewster Brothers, if you talk to Ian Moss, if you talk to Jimmy Barnes, they will all give him credit for the success that led them to where they are now. Mm. He's, um, mm. he's worked tirelessly for, for young bands and as not paid, not in a paid role, but just as a, a, an advocate for their work. And um, unfortunately, last Friday, that will no longer be uh, the case for, for young Adelaide bands. Davey, Daisy's a huge loss. He, um, he passed so away. So what's the lesson, Friday, mate? What's the lesson that you remember from Daisy? I think just living the dream. He, um, he, he started in radio at 16. He was in his mm. early 60s when he passed away. Um, he encompassed rock and roll. He mm. taught me about, you know, about not just about the radio industry, but about the passion behind it and the passion in music. And he did that. He lived his dream. He forced his way into radio in New South Wales and then moved back to his hometown in Adelaide and, um, and, and just lived the dream that, that he had wanted to live and, and also, you know, in the meantime, was helping these bands. Um, it's a shame, you know, most people don't ever take the time to find that dream. Like mm. so few people absolutely love what they do, whereas you get mm. a guy like Daisy, he mm. would do it for free and probably did do it That's for right. free all the time because he was just yep. into it. It was just his passion, his dream. That was, that was his thing. It was his, that was his lane. But uh, many people don't That's take right. the time to find that lane and or do something about it regardless of how old mm. you are. Mm. That's right. What about Ray Warren last week? You know, don't tell yeah, anybody, yeah. but I do this for free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> that's, the, that's the sort of story you want to hear, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. But I think that um, what was different is that when you asked Ray to come down and call the uh, under-12 <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Brook rugby union game, uh, he did off air, you didn't get a very good uh, robo, my boy. Robo. Robo, my boy. We have joked about it before. I was pretty much sure that the answer I was going to get when I popped that one last week. <laughs> I must say, um, listening to the game on the weekend and hearing Rab's mm-hmm. Ray Warren after mm-hmm. doing the interview, um, I feel a lot I, I, I admire that guy he's mm. uh it was a good show he's super cool anyway so if you haven't listened to that show go back listen to it folks he's uh, he's a legend all right mate i think we're done yeah just quickly uh, this is i'll just play this this to, to play us out this is um the incomparable david day the production's a bit dusty this is back from the early 90s but um just a tribute to daisy rock and roll mate done they said it wouldn't last rock and roll has got to go the stones gave us satisfaction. Sid did it his way. And Lennon was bigger than Christ. The Mac were at the top of the stack. The world turned into Geldof's global jukebox. The wall came tumbling down. Nine Inch Nails and Kurt Cobain both got closer to God. And still, they said it wouldn't last. Christ, they were wrong. If it rocks, you'll hear it on Adelaide's new home of rock. 104.7 Triple M. The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production. 
check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.